Okay. And as usual, we would start with the, with the first question, question number one. If money were no object, what would you buy just for the fun of it? If money were no object at all, what would you buy just for the fun of it? Something that you had fantasies about that you looked at some people having and said, wow, boy, if I had one of those. Anybody? Helicopter, I wouldn't have to deal with the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> a helicopter. <laughs> All right. Good idea. No traffic. I guess a lot of people would choose that one. A helicopter. Okay, let's look at uh, Bible Meets Life on page 29. Have someone read that, please. Roman Catholics and any Protestant denominations observe Lent, a time when they fast from some desired thing for 40 days prior to Easter. They begin Lent on Ash Wednesday, but they would use the Tuesday before as their last day to eat rich and fatty foods. Thus that day came to be called Fat Tuesday, or as we commonly know, it is Mardi Gras. Somewhere along the way, Mardi Gras changed from a time to indulge in, fat, in fatty foods to a pursuit of every kind of carnal and sinful pleasure. Many cities and regions celebrate Mardi Gras, but worldly pursuit is perhaps most closely associated with the French Quarter in New Orleans. But people don't have to wait for Mardi Gras to pursue countless worldly pleasures. We live in a day and age where the pursuit of pleasure is available at the click of a mouse or a call on a cell phone. People in today's world live for pleasure. If you want it, buy it. Don't hold back from whatever you want to make you happy. World pleasures seem, may seem enjoyable, but the enjoyment is brief and temporary. They will always leave us empty. Okay, thank you. So today we will see that all the world's pleasures and possessions are worthless apart from God. Worthless. Notice the point. What is the point of our lesson today? Pleasures and possessions don't offer lasting joy. But many people don't believe that. And so they continue to pursue and chase after worldly pleasures. Wisdom lit literature differs from narratives and instructional teaching. Rather than telling people what to think, it focuses on helping them think well. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon began by introducing two related themes, hopelessness apart from God and redundancy without God. The first is summarized by the concept of futility in verse 1 and chapter, chapter 1 verse 1 while the second is represented by nothing new under the sun, a, a, a phrase we are quite familiar with, right? With this brief overview, Solomon started fleshing out specific examples by examining the futility of pleasure in today's passage. So let's look at today's passage, which would be on page 30. Uh, the first passage, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. You can have someone read that, please. I said to myself, go ahead, 
I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good, but it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it is madness, and about pleasure, what does this accomplish? Explore with my mind the food, the pull of wine on my bone. My mind still good, <coughs> telling, gliding me with wisdom on how to grasp holy holy until I can see what is good for people to do under heaven during the first, during the few days of their lives. Continue. As you read Ecclesiastes, keep in mind the phrase Solomon frequently used under the sun. Under the sun reflects a worldview where nothing exists about the sun, no heavens, nothing supernatural, and no God. <clears throat> so then, to live a life solemnly under the sun is to live a life without God. To do life as only under the sun is to have a purely secular worldview. If this world is all there is, what's the point? So why not pursue pleasure and possession? If God does not exist, and if this life is all there is, then perhaps I can derive with what meaning I can in my personal happiness and the stuff I accumulate. Isaiah Isaiah, Isaiah later saw this same attitude in the rebellious nation. Let us eat and drink, or tomorrow we die. Solomon tested this very idea to see if he could find true joy and fulfillment in pleasure and possession. When Solomon said, I said to myself, he literally said, I said in my heart, this was a serious search. Solomon was putting himself in the secular shoes. Solomon wanted to test whether or not pleasure leads to lasting joy. This is, <clears throat> this is an important lesson for all of us. Before we discount the, those with whom we disagree, disagree it's important to try and understand where they are coming from. That doesn't mean we have to know everything about others' beliefs, or we should experience every bit of immorality and debauchery to understand the worldly person. Rather, <clears throat> we should examine the reasons why people are motivated to live their lives as they do. Solomon <coughs> mentioned two areas of pleasure he, invest he investigated, laughter. We sometimes try to overcome awkward situations with laughter. We may even hope to overcome grief with laughter, but even in laughter, heart may be sad. Laughter is no indication of real joy. In fact, Solomon called it madness. Solomon discovered that pleasure and laughter for sure. 
Alcohol, Solomon discovered the use of wine did not bring fulfillment. Solomon was not talking about drunkenness. He drank wine, but apparently without allowing himself to become intoxicated. He was very careful here. I explored with my mind. <clears throat> my mind still guiding me with wisdom. Solomon wanted to discover if using alcohol was what is good for people to do under heaven during their short lives. What Solomon described would be a script for one of the many alcohol-related commercials, a mixture of alcohol and laughter. Everyone has a drink in hand. They're all socializing and laugh and laughter bombs. Advertisers want to convince us this is the good life. But Solomon has a different conclusion. He showed us the stunning reality that all this pleasure accomplished nothing. It turned out to be futile. Okay. Thank you. So in Solomon's search for pleasure, he included two things, laughter and alcohol, as many people do today. In general, we associate laughing with having a good time, right? Whenever we hear a bunch of people laughing, the conclusion is what? They must be having a good time if they're laughing, right? So when we hear laughter, we assume people are experiencing, experiencing happiness and joy. <laughs> Solomon intentionally looked for ways to make laughter as a part of his life. But instead of laughter being a great medicine, the teacher only found insanity. Craziness, we call it. Instead of the hearty expression of a blessing, he compared it to the ravings of a lunatic. Poison was insane, out of their mind. Later in Ecclesiastes, he said laughter reminded him of the sticks used to kindling the fire. Ecclesiastes 7.6. To him, laughter was just another sign of madness and the world turned upside down. Well, we can see it that way too, because when you think of some of the things that people laugh at, it's really not funny at all. It's tragic and pathetic. So if laughter had no, no purpose, Solomon concluded pleasure is useless as well by asking, what does this accomplish? He basically answered his own rhetorical question. Pleasure alone has no meaning and provides no benefit. Again, he filtered his conclusions through the lens of life, of a life without God, a godless life. When laughter and pleasure cross the line from blessing to curse. Certainly laughter is a wonderful thing. Science has found that laughter produces a variety of health benefits, both physical and emotionally. But since God is the ultimate author of joy and pleasure, those benefits are hollow without God. On his own, pleasure comes and goes. It offers little stability for life. Trusting it to provide meaning and purpose can have devastating results, as we have seen, many of us have seen many, many times. Solomon never intended to paint laughter and pleasure as evil. Like so much else in life, it's great to have fun. But humans need God to make laughter worthwhile and to find genuine purpose and pleasure that God provides. When he is not in the picture, futility takes over. 
And we've seen that many, many times in news stories, and personally we've seen it as well in our encounters. When we look at verse 3, we notice that one way people try to pursue pleasure is through the use of alcohol. You know what I found amazing? In this little island of ours, the largest warehouses are not food warehouses. They're liquor warehouses. Have you ever noticed that? Drive around the island and you'll notice the largest warehouses we have on this island are liquor warehouses, not food warehouses. Like, probably you need the liquor more than you need the food. But in many people's lives, that is a reality. People drink alcohol more than they eat food. And so, uh, uh, the teacher addresses the issue of alcohol. Many believers, many believe it's impossible to relax or have a good time without having a drink. And social media and, 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 and Hollywood, all of us, all of them project that idea. Uh, we see it all the time. Uh, Solomon experimented with wine as a part of his search for meaning and purpose. The teacher described the pull of wine. And notice he calls it a pull, because that's exactly what it does. While Solomon knew wine could affect his senses, he understood alcohol as an addictive, has an addictive nature that can take over a person's life. That's why it was important for him to make sure his mind was still governed by what? Wisdom, right? His mind was still governed by, otherwise he could fall into folly. He sought pleasure, not a wild, unrestrained existence. And so Solomon experienced with the pull of alcohol without letting it take control of his life. This is not always possible. Drunkenness and alcoholism can lead to a life of misery. Absolute misery, and many people have seen that. The Hebrew word for folly uh, refers to practicing self-indulgence, which we see many people doing in our world today. But Solomon did something else. He practiced moderation. He maintained his senses and still found no, play, no purpose in the meaning of wine. Okay, good experiment. He didn't lose his mind, he didn't let it take control of his life. Next we will see Solomon try to find satisfaction through achievement and the accumulation of things. But first of all, let's look at that second question. What priority should a person give to leisure and fun? What priority? Hmm? As little as possible. <laughs> as little as possible, okay. Anybody else? What priority of any at all? Here's another question. How does society encourage the pursuit of pleasure? Yeah, they show you all kinds of advertisements, cruises, yes. destination points. Major, mainly through advertisement and also social media. Uh, they do all sorts of things to, to attract us. Okay, let's look at that other passage we have, uh, verses 4 to 8 of, of, of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. If we can have someone read that, please. I increase my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself, from which the third ate they grow up. They grow up flourishing trees. 
I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, live herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amazed myself and gold, gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself and many companies the delights of men. Continue. Since seeking pleasure for pleasure's sake accomplishes nothing, maybe building a personal empire and accumulating great possessions will give our lives the meaning we crave. That was the next area Solomon delved into in his quest for meaning. Notice the self-focus in Solomon's words, my achievement, I built. I built for myself. Count of all the times he referred to himself with I, me, and my, my and myself. Have you ever met anyone like this? Someone who was so self-absorbed that everything was I, me, my, and mine. Solomon probed meaning in four areas. Building projects. Solomon was a master builder. King David had made all the preparations for building the temple, but his son Solomon actually built it, as well as his own palace. And then Solomon made gardens and parks. You might be familiar with the hanging gardens of Babylon, identified as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. But long before these were the gardens of Solomon built. He planted every kind of fruit tree in them. Of course, these gardens would require irrigation. So Solomon, Solomon constructed a reservoir, reservoirs, pools from which to water the gardens. These gardens were nearly beautiful to look at. They pointed to Solomon's immense, immense wealth and engineering proneness. Accumulating wealth. The number of servants a person had also was evidence of his wealth in the ancient world. And Solomon had acquired plenty of both male and female servants. Solomon's wealth was not new was not new money. He had servants long enough, but they had given birth to children in Solomon's house, who also served him. Why would anyone need so many servants? The rationale could be when you own a lot of stuff, you need to keep caring for it all. Solomon also owned livestock, more livestock than anyone who has come before him in Jerusalem. And it took a lot of people to feed and manage so many animals. Solomon also built up a soft pad of silver and gold, the treasure of kings and provinces. There was nothing he could not buy and no one he could not hire. Hmm. Patronizing the arts. Solomon not only had an abundance of male and female slaves, he also gathered male and female singers to entertain him. Hmm. Here was Solomon's personal choir. He would bring them out during formal functions or if he would simply wanted to be entertained. Indulging himself sexually. Solomon's downfall was his sexual indulgence with numerous, numerous women. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines. They turned his heart away. Solomon sought pleasure and fulfillment through sex with multiple partners, but he also found this to be empty. When we look for meaning by building our personal empires and accumulating our possessions, it may appear to be the world, to the world that we have it all, but stuff does not satisfy. It does not fill us with purpose and meaning. Possessions, wealth, and self-focus fills us with everything except what matters. Okay. What a life, huh? Yeah. What were the four specific areas Solomon pursued? 
Um, Albert, could you pass these over, please? What are the four areas that um, he focused on? We just saw them. Building projects. Okay, building projects. Yeah. Alright, he built all kinds of stuff. Uh, what else? Accumulating wealth. He accumulated wealth. Remember, there were people who came to listen to his wisdom. And whenever those people came, they bought a lot of gifts. And many of those gifts included gold and silver. And so he amassed a fortune of silver and gold, a stockpile, it says here, of silver and gold. What else? Patronizing the arts. Okay, he was a patron of the arts. All right, and what else? He indulges himself sexually. So now we know uh, why he had those uh, 300, what, 700 wives? Uh, we know why he had those because of the indulgences that he had. Normally people say, oh, he had 300, 700 wives and 300 concubines. But they never said why. Here we see why, because of that indulgence. The handout we have is about Solomon. 10th son of David, 2nd son of Bathsheba, Solomon became the third king of Israel and reigned for 40 years, around 1000 BC. But notice uh, some of the bullet points there. He was born to David and Bathsheba, and we know that story, right? How that happened. Okay, David, uh, in 1st Kings chapter 1, 32 to 40, David has his servants declare Solomon's rule throughout the land. And then in 1st Kings 3, David appears to Solomon in a dream and grants him wealth, or God rather appears to Solomon in a dream and grants him what? Wealth, honor, and long life because he chose wisdom as a gift. Because he chose wisdom. Would any of us have chosen that if God gave us that, that option? He probably would have chosen riches and wealth, right? <laughs> okay, but Solomon was smart even from then, from a young man. Okay, and then in, in, also in... Uh, Chapter 3, Solomon decides a matter between two prostitutes in his fame spread, and his fame spread far and wide because of his judgment. Remember that story, right? Uh, the woman who slept on her baby and killed the baby and tried to take the other woman's baby away. Who would think that Solomon would make a decision the way he did? But that made his, his fame even spread more far, far further and wide. And I believe because of that, more and more people came to, to find out what kind of wisdom this man had. Again, that amounted to more gifts and more wealth. And then uh, in chapter 9, we see that Solomon builds the temple for God. Remember, who wanted to build that temple first? David. David. What God told him? Someone's blood. No. Nah, you got blood on your hands. You're a man of war. Can't happen. And so his son built that temple, magnificent, beautiful temple. And also in chapter 9, uh, we see God wants Solomon not to turn away from serving him or Solomon would have to suffer the consequences. Did he listen? No, he didn't. And then in chapter 10, the Queen of Sheba visits Solomon to test his wisdom and wealth. And she ends up marveling at both. Okay, what she found was far beyond her wildest imagination. She never imagined this man was so wise. And then, uh, of course, that probably led to other people because she went back home and she told out everybody else about it, and probably more people came. And then uh, in chapter 11, uh, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and this absolutely, totally displeases the Lord. Okay, God never intended for it to be that way. All right, but of course, we know that because of the indulgences that he had, 
he continued going like a person on drugs. And the more they get, the more they want, but it never satisfies. But they keep taking more and more and more and more. And they never get, they said that the drug dealer never gets a second high like the one, the first one they ever got. Never, but they keep going after like a gambler. They go and they win at the, 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 the what do they call the place across the street? The web shop. All right? And they get a win and they say, boy, if I go back again, I'll get more. And they go again and they lose and they go again and again and again and again. But that's how Solomon was. And that's how, and uh, the end result, he ended up with 700 wives and 300 concubines. In chapter 11, God decides to divide the kingdom from, or divide up the kingdom from the line of David. Of course, as a result of David, of, of Solomon's behavior. And then in chapter 11, we also see the last few years of Solomon's reign is fraught with what? Troubles. troubles, all kinds of problems and troubles. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Okay. So, we notice that he built houses and planted vineyards. He made gardens and parks. And he built reservoirs and irrigation. Boy, you know, our government can learn from the way he did this stuff. Because they build stuff and they, do, they just leave it and don't maintain it and it all broke down and now they talk about imploding stuff. But this is some wise planning. So I remember seeing this, ah, I'm so mad. You know, I'm chasing after So notice what Solomon accumulated for, and we, we saw that word and those phrases, himself. It was all about him. Me, myself, and I. What do you accumulate for himself? Male and female servants. Vast herds of flocks. Silver and gold. Hmm? I hate to interrupt you. Go I ahead. But doesn't the same starts at 10 this morning? Yeah, it does. Yes, yes, it does. And we're supposed to stop right here because we, yeah. we finished at 10 15. Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that. But you have your books with you, and I encourage you to continue with the lesson on, and probably use it for devotional time. And, uh, and also, uh, if you have the time, go over session one uh, that we couldn't get in because uh, of time. I encourage you to do that. All right, uh, let's just go jump ahead and look at <coughs> Bible Meets Life, and then we'll wrap it up. Where is that now? Page 37. Page 37. I missed it. Okay, our God gives us lasting joy. Start cultivating this lasting joy in your life this week. First point, give God the glory. How can you fight against the empty pursuit of pleasure? Identify something you enjoy and do it. But do it not to honor, but do it to honor Christ and give God the glory. First thing we can do. The second thing is memorize Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Memorize this passage and recall it when you become anxious, discouraged, or the toils of your own struggle tempt you to seek reward in the wrong way. And then thirdly and finally, acknowledge the achievements of others. Too often we get caught up in our own achievements. That leads us to a false reward mentality. Contact others and thank them for their achievements. Encourage them, consider ways to do this that also affirms them in the presence of others. So God is not against pleasure. Make that point clear. But let God be the source of your joy. 
your greatest pleasure is God himself. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.